How about those leaves? Leaves? Well, my boys were telling me about a leaf blower that's on sale at the local hardware store down the street. I don't know, is Boston coming to town? Ah. <laughs> This is episode three of In Grey Highlands This Week. So the highlights of today is we're going to talk about uh, the recent development land uses that we had at our uh, public meeting with regards to uh, minimum sized dwellings and also with regards to uh, campgrounds uh, that are sort of maybe looking at open spaces and, and rural designated areas. Our land and how we use it. Well... Well, we, we've had lots of discussion around tiny homes or affordable homes or even attainable homes. Uh, again, we had our public meeting last week with regards to tiny homes that was up at the complex there in, in Markdale. And uh, it was it was a well-attended meeting along with regards to the minimum size or, or removing the minimum size uh, dwelling size, which is I think right now at 90 square meters. And uh, so removing that will allow possibly the opportunity to, for people to build homes that are smaller but maybe more affordable. So, so Paul, uh, yeah, currently um, on, on secondary dwellings, uh, can they be considered tiny homes today if I want to put a tiny house in my, in my backyard and hook it up to a septic or whatever? Is that allowed today without going through waiting for this bylaw to come? Well, certainly secondary dwellings, dwellings have been in place for over five years. And that's, uh, what that means is you can build equal or smaller than the size of home that's on the lot today. When it can be either uh, in a basement or in a, in a garage, uh, or they can be uh, secondary to the home. So if I have a thousand square foot house, then I could build two tiny homes, five hundred each. One, only one. It's a secondary dwelling. Oh, it's a secondary dwelling, so it's secondary to the main main house. Okay. So, but that's been in place for quite a long time. The new the new buzz in the street is tiny homes or attainable housing, right? So tiny homes has given us our opportunity to look at, now according to the building code, and that was that came out at that meeting uh, last week, that the I think it's around the minimum size is somewhere is around 320 square feet, right. according to the building code. Well, um, so from that, I mean, there's probably, I think you were showing me or somebody was showing me where there's nice homes, uh, modular homes around 500 square feet. So, so those are where we're going with the next uh, level of, uh, of, of attainable homes. And, uh, but it's very important that people do realize that uh, secondary dwellings are out there and they've been there for okay. five years. Okay, but you can only build one tiny home that's smaller than the main house. Secondary dwelling. Secondary dwelling. Okay. Yes, right. Well, that's good to know. Yes. And so, I mean, even at, uh, at that meeting, even the, uh, the uh, Great County's new official plan has removed minimum size which is very important. So, that it, that, you know, they're ahead of even us is in the sense of uh, where things are going. And, uh, you know, so, I mean, there's lots of, of trends out there. We see something in Detroit, some things in Quebec. I mean, there's what they call pocket home development. Pocket home development is something that maybe can looked upon as two or three units in a, in a, in a small area that uh, allows uh, certainly affordability and maybe shared services. Do you think we'll ever get around to... Uh doing tiny lots to go with tiny homes? Well, it's funny you bring that up, uh, Stuart. That, that was one of the questions I had at that public meeting is uh, right now the minimum size uh, for rural lots is uh, uh, two acres or 0.8 hectares. And so if we're cutting the size of, of size of homes, why can't we cut the size of, of lots? But through zoning, you can create that, you know, you only have a maximum size of that home being built on that small, smaller lot with the exception of maybe a 25% rule that allows you to expand up to 25% of that size of home. Okay, so hopefully the planners at, uh, at Gray Highlands and Gray County will come to grips with this concept and we don't have to wait five years for this to happen. No, I think I think there's a real desire to have smaller homes and that smaller carbon footprint. And so there's a real desire there. So you said about five years. Well, certainly I think there's a real um, momentum that's happening out here also from the affordability side, Stuart. I mean, people can't, I mean, you're, you brought it a couple weeks back where the, you know you found two homes that were under $300,000. Well, again, we had that whole discussion. Hey, about one it. of them sold. Wow. 
there you go. So, so certainly getting down around 500 square feet will maybe make that the, the possibility of having that affordability. Talk a bit about affordability. It would be nice if you, if the uh, tiny homeowner didn't have to pay for DC charges both at the county and the municipality. Uh, any any thoughts on that? I know yeah, I don't want you to have to be. This is not politically speaking, but that's a thought that I have. That would be great. And uh, there's a lot of the things that can happen on tiny homes today. It's now legal to have composting toilets, which I didn't know before. Wow. And it's also legal to be able to have gray water systems on a tiny home that goes into, into you might say, a French drain. So there's things happening. There's a stronger possibility that things could happen in the very near future. Well, that, you, you bring a good point in the sense of having uh, DC charge, uh, 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 what do you call it? Uh, no DT charge under a certain certain size. Right. Uh, certainly uh, 700 square feet, 900 square feet. I'm not sure what that magic number is. But again, you know, removing that $3,500 uh, from the uh, the building part of a 500 square foot home, you might be able to build it for 150000 I think so. That would be, I think, maximum. Paul, one of the things that uh, later on in the show that we're going to talk about or talk to is Scott Taylor, the planner from Gray County, which is really great that we can get him, that we had him for our show. So we'll be able to ask some of these questions uh, of Scott, and perhaps uh, he can help us with some of those timelines and some of those ideas, So, especially on D.C. charges from the county. Well, yeah, that would be great to get some relief on DC charges for the uh, smaller homes because uh, that just, I mean, we keep talking or he keeps talking or even the planning department keeps talking about ways to in, incentivize uh, developers to build homes that are attainable, affordable. Well, if the county removes the DC charge under a certain size, right there, there's a great incentive for those to uh, look at that type of development. That's right. Even on Netflix, you can find out about tiny homes. So. So a lot of things happening in that particular area. So anyhow, that's been it's been a great discussion on on tiny homes, and uh, and hopefully it'll allow people to stay in our rural setting, and be able to uh, to live here and uh, and and have that feeling of owning something. All right, that's important. Absolutely, it's it's, it's it it builds um, pride. It builds a sense of of, of doing something good. So one of the things uh, that uh, if you have any comments to the municipality is uh, to send uh, an email to the uh, clerks at Gray Highland if you have any ideas on the actual thing of reducing the size of, uh, of homes, okay? I think that's important that the yes. staff get feedback on that. Absolutely, and, and certainly uh, more the better because, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's creating that planning document that's going to allow that uh, moving forward for the next 10 to 20 years. And then when you do official plans, you look at the next 10 yeah. or 20 years out, right? So uh, one of the things that uh, tiny homes will provide is affordable and attainable homes with uh, requiring less capital. Smaller homes mean less carbon, which we've already talked about, and real estate uh, footprint. So it's also a chance for seniors to re reestablish co-housing co uh, communities in a buddy system, small homes. We all know that it's important for seniors, everybody really, to have a social contact. So if you can have a group of uh, tiny homes with uh, seniors living at it and they can uh, get together uh, very easily, they don't have to walk too far. So there's, I think there's a lot of things happening in, in our communities around the world that will make life a lot better for everybody. Well, socialism is a good thing in the sense of getting together for, uh, for a chat or even what you call those back gardens or those back uh, laneways. There's a furries. I remember you telling me that uh, that time we looked at that development down in uh, uh, Niagara, Niagara in the Lake. Yeah, those, Niagara those, the lake. those back, those back gates, or what do you call them? There's a name for it. Well, the back lanes. Back lanes. That's actually it. Uh, Eugenia was laid out with back lanes, 19 feet wide. That was for the horses to come down. So throughout Eugenia, there's actually there's land. So now it'll be scooters. <laughs> Everybody's made them into their garden. But anyhow, there's some things there that uh, I think are positive for us to continue on uh, tiny homes. Right. Well, certainly the ability to live out in rural, rural Ontario, rural, rural Ontario in the sense of uh, creating opportunities to stay on the land and stay home or stay, stay in a situation where you can stay in your home as long as you can that you feel important. But also on those back parts of those uh tiny homes or whatever there's opportunity to grow gardens and have certainly your own food and all those kind of things that 
so you know that help support yourself being there and, and feel healthy and being outside in the fresh air and stuff like that that's all important so there's some interesting things happening on uh, leasing a home uh, leasing land and owning your home so that hasn't been explored for tiny homes but let's say somebody owns a piece of property and uh, wants to lease it out to let's say five tiny homes and that they work through whatever legal right. needs are that they actually own their house and they could sell it if they so want and so that means they're in the game of uh, you know increasing the value of their investment so well you know how stirred is we talk about tiny homes but the bigger issue also in gray highlands is accommodations when people come here and, and accommodations is something when when there's events going on and, and also that public meeting was the discussion around campgrounds Campgrounds are certainly something on everybody's mind as well because, you know, being in the tourist industry, and it's a large industry in throughout Ontario and Canada and the world, is where are people going to uh, come and visit? And right now we don't have uh, too many. We have a few motels, but we don't have any major campgrounds. KOA up in, in uh, Owen Sound, there's something at Craigleith, but in Grey Highlands, which it was identified by economic development developers about 10 years ago, we need campgrounds. So I'm glad to see that the municipality is moving forward with, uh, with thinking about that. I know the, the planner, Michael Brennan, has decided uh, you know, to develop a, a, a bylaw and he's looking for input. So again, if you have some ideas, Make sure you you know get uh, looking into getting your feedback to the municipality. So well, certainly any any given weekend you see a lot of tiny homes going up the roads on wheels, and, right. and that's one part of camping is RV. But you know when those RVs stop here, those people pulling the stuff that have ability to stop here and enjoy the great things that we offer, which is recreation, the scenery, the the wonder of vistas that we have in Great Highlands. They spend money, they spend money and help businesses that support people who are trying to make ends meet who have to buy those tiny homes so it's a revolving circle so then along with the rvs there's also uh, more uh, tent trailers or there's the pop up the tent ones or whatever so there's a lot of there's a lot of dynamics but if you have an event going on here in gray highlands and, and we know that the hilltop jamboree is one example where they do have campers and, and trailers coming in and they provide space but there's an example of something that goes on where they have an event and people are coming here the biggest thing around here is, is accommodations and we don't have like you said the hotels and stuff like that so you need to create opportunities so those people can come here and spend money well also there's not everybody wants has can afford a, an rv so we also need you might say economy style uh campgrounds as well where you can put up a pup tent or a small tent and uh you know where you have a central washroom and maybe a shower area as well i remember staying one outside of uh, Bracebridge uh, one time and it rained on my pup tent but anyhow we were in a campground that just had small tents. Was it a flat tent? <laughs> <laughs> well certainly and, and some of those provincial campgrounds or even private have what they call yurks right yes. and, and that's I think that's more into the wintertime camping is it not? Well I'm not sure I know uh, Grey Highlands has a few yurts uh, developments happening so that's something that's interesting as well. Well that's something you can show up there's just something hard that's sort of in a small outdoorsy type thing but it's sort of it's sort of got a hard roof on and you can sleep up uh, maybe six or eight people in those uh, type of developments and and again it's all the exposure of to Grey Highlands and enjoying the great outdoors is uh, and you know just one last thing before we leave that is when people get exposed to our area, then they want to invest in our area and they want to either buy or build or, or rent or whatever. And then they rent and then they make that investment. And that's that's a great thing about this area is people come here and they get wowed by the area and, and then they, they, they're hooked. They're hooked. Well, I certainly agree with that. That's how I, I ended up getting here because I had a great real estate person when I moved, when I was looking for a vacation property in 1995. Didn't show me any properties, just showed me Eugenia Falls, Feversham Gorge, and uh, the Old Baldy as well. So he sold me on the area, first of all. Well, you know, you probably know this, Stuart, is anywhere you go else in the province and probably the world, and you say where you come from, they say, that's such a beautiful area. I wish I could, I wish I could, I wish I could, you guys live in a great area. So there's people that would love to come here. They just, just need the opportunity. Absolutely. So we can look forward to, uh, um, campground legislation coming forward so that uh, campground people can uh, be looking at investing here in uh, in the spring of 2020 
Put it this way, I think this area is due for some kind of a, a campground uh, accommodations. I would agree. You know, and we hear it. And I mean, we have lots of, like, again, the recreation and the environment is such next to none that it's just, just opening up that venue. Absolutely. So um, it's uh, still uh, the, the um, municipality, I know, is still accepting feedback uh, as well. So if you have any feedback that you want on and explain it to uh, campgrounds, about campgrounds, contact the uh, clerk at the clerks at greyhighland.ca. So uh, I just think that that's important that feedback happens. The meeting at, at the co- complex in Markdale was well attended, but I think there should be more people involved in making those decisions. I mean, there's, you know, there's a decision for five acres. Is it too big, too small? Are there other options? So I think there's a lot of things that could be discussed. I'm sure all the people driving up here in a weekend would have lots to say about it too. (laughs) That's right. I wish I could stay there. I wish I could find a spot. And of course, you can feedback your thoughts to us, and we'd like to be able to have some feedback at Grey Highlands this week by calling our feedback line at 519-900-8905 or email feedback in greyhighlandsthisweek.ca. Absolutely. Okay. We look forward to your feedback. We want your feedback. You're listening to In Grey Highlands This Week, a current affairs podcast brought to you by the Grey Highlands Chamber of Commerce. Support our efforts to bring you informative programs by joining the Chamber today at greyhighlandschamber.com. So after tiny homes, you got to have people got to get jobs, Stuart. Well, we're going to go into segment B, industry in Grey Highlands. Perfect. Yeah, you got to afford that house. You got to pay for it. Absolutely. Hey, Stuart, you're doing <laughs> well. Chapman's, what do you think? 10 years later after the fire. Well, that's really remarkable. And 10 years after the fire, they've also done a, uh, are, they've expanded a uh, hundred, hundred thousand square feet in the last couple of years. So, first since the uh, two thousand and nine fire, yeah, definitely uh, from the Phoenix, and then you know expanding again. That to- that shows you that it's uh, a great business, and everybody loves ice cream. Well, I certainly do, and uh, I'm a favorite. Uh, my favorite is uh, Heaven Hash. And so maybe after the show, um, I'll get some of that. I'm just just so so happy that they, they they decided to stay here in Grey Highlands and rebuild. I mean, this area would be such a different place if Chapman's wasn't here. And you know, it's very important that they create jobs and they're good for the community. Every every um, every uh, organization that has a fundraiser, they're, they're there to support them with their ice cream and and even with Ice River Springs too. That they support those community events, and that's very important. That shows a good corporate citizen. Well, they did, and. Uh Back when the hospital was raising money, they also made a major contribution of a uh, million dollars. So uh, that's really important uh, for the hospital system. So anyhow, they they epitomize corporate resilience, and uh, at how and corporate resilience is really what what is happening here in in Grey Highlands. So we lost Terra Footwear, uh, but now we have Rossler Boats in that same facility. So and have you ever seen one of those Rossler boats? Yeah, I've been down to the, the Cottage and Life Show, which is amazing to go to. Aren't they neat? <laughs> oh, I mean, the, even the even the Cottage and Life Show was amazing to go to. Oh yeah, and and certainly yeah, I saw I've seen them down there, and uh, I mean they're they're top end boats. They're excellent boats. They're, they are, and they they got sort of a designer look to them. You know, the Porsche boats. That's right. <laughs> so anyhow, I haven't had the pleasure of going out in uh, in them, uh, but anyhow, uh, someday maybe Paul, you will. Uh, He'll buy one for uh, for tooling around. Don't get too ambitious. Oh, okay. So we lost Terra Footwear. We got rostered boats, and we lost Nordic Furniture. And uh, but thank goodness uh, Chapman's uh, made that their uh, storage area after the fire. So we we've you know we've lost some, but we've gained some. Uh, we've also got a very powerful but very quiet organization in town called Medike and uh, who's changed their business model. They used to be in the uh, stonewashed jeans, but uh, today uh, they're making leather products that, that you sew on the back of jeans, those, those identifying labels. So they also have uh, plants in Hong Kong. So it's a going, I understand they have at least 100 employees there and they're going gangbusters. So that's great to have that. So, they, so they, they, they produce the acid stone jeans? 
No, no, no. Today, they produce the labels that oh, go on. Because okay. I've often wondered about those jeans because they look like they work in hay because you see the people wearing them and they're half wore out. But I guess the labels work well. Oh, the labels are <laughs> last forever. I don't know. I, if I, I haven't seen a, seen a shredded label yet. I'm sure when you grew up, Stuart, if you wore your pants half wore out, that your, your mom and dad would put you back to your room. Well, I did wear jeans when I was uh, 10 or 11, so they've yep. been around for a while. Yeah, I'm sure they had no uh, holes in them. But anyway, moving on. Ice River Springs, another business. Well, there's something that uh, went from a trout pond to an amazing, amazing business, all right? I think you may, might remember the trout pond because that was only in 1993, so. Yeah, I remember it well because I cooked the fish here. I worked at the restaurant when I was at oh, high school. Really? Oh, 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 good, there you are. So Ice River Springs has continued to expand and it's really, uh, you know, taking, uh, you know, you've seen their green bottles around. So that's all right, recycled material that they actually bring into their plant down in uh, Shelburne and they bring in uh, bottles from around Ontario and they shred them back and they make uh, pellets that go, go into other products. So they're really, uh, uh, you know, a major contributor to the helping the environment by doing some of the things that they're doing. So, so certainly we met with, um, met with uh, Sandy Gott at Ice River Springs a few weeks back, and they talked about the recycling of the plastic, and they right. they plan to do a tour sometime uh, for us and, um, and in Shelburne. So I'll make sure you, as the president of the of the chamber, can maybe get invited along on that and, and have a tour. It's I think it's eighty to eighty five percent of the uh, plastic bottles in Ontario are recycled by their plant. Right, and certainly they also re, uh, reiterated that out of all that recycled plastic that they receive, there's so much of the single-use plastic that they can't use. And uh, she was saying that Jamie has uh, partnered with a company down uh, Kitchener-Cambridge Way. Right. And they're making Muskoka chairs. Adirondack chairs, or I call them Eugenia chairs. But anyhow, and they're making recycled... Well, yeah, it's it's a great that, I mean, we hear the, the issues around single-use plastic. We just got to come up with the solutions that works for those type of things. And... And we just got to put the technology to work. Actually, you can take that plastic and, and weave it into into fabric as well. So some people are wearing recycled uh, clothing, uh, you know, from pop bottles. So well, a lot of things can happen. I think the public schools were weaving uh, mats out of uh, milk bags. They were right. sending them down to uh, some of the third world countries, I think, for, for sleeping on. One of the major uh, industries that's evolved in Greyhounds over the last 10 years is the uh, the on farm businesses uh, that uh, uh, that our friends uh, the Mennonites are, are doing? I, I don't know what the exact count, but I, I was told that there was at least 170 small farm uh, businesses that are happening here, and there I understand they're also employing a lot of our local uh, people as well in them. It's not just the Mennonites because they uh, there are other people because they re really require high skills as well. Well, absolutely, and some of those uh, some of those uh, shops or C4s have million dollar plasma cutters. I mean, it's just amazing some of the technology that they have in there and what they're producing. Certainly, the I, I call it the midnight community. I, I right. try to be more in the sense of that, and the, they certainly do uh, employ local local people, and and certainly, you know, it's all it's called diversity or off farm income. And right. I mean, they're no different than anybody else. I mean, the farms are expensive. They got to pay for those farms and they got to create ways of, of creating revenue to buy those farms. And, and it's just, I mean, farming's in their blood, but they know that they need to create opportunities to make money to buy those farms to support family. Right. They, they have large, large families. They have, uh, you know, and they expand to the point where I know we had a conversation one time with them and, and they like the idea of having the small shops because it, it it's enables their community to spread it around so everybody has a piece of the of the work or piece of the of the of the big, big right. picture. Well, they make they cut wood, they make wood handles for shovels and rakes, etc. They also, Paul, you told me one time that you were visiting one of those shops and you actually they were making uh, cedar spas. Or yep, for Costco. Really? Okay. Yeah, yeah. They were, I mean, they're in, they, I mean, those shops are manufacturing shops. Right. So whatever they can mass produce, that's what they do. And I mean, from car parts to, I mean, I mean, whatever, I mean, they have the technology, they build it uh, to, to the equipment that they put in those shops and they can produce anything. Paul, do you know what time it is? It's getting fall. 
It's tax time. All right, and what shall we do? I just got my bills in the other day, and I haven't reco- haven't recovered yet. Uh, so was it September the twenty sixth or September whatever? Well, it's funny. I got mine sitting up in the cupboard, and I haven't even opened them yet. Oh. <laughs> I sort of uh, I got to get in the right frame of mind. Well, Impact is also an organization that's um, government owned, uh, and it's coming out with some new assessments in two thousand and nineteen. So. They keep telling me my property is going up in value, so I'm not sure what I can do about that. Well, but. we know prices are increasing here in Great Highlands, but I will tell you that January 1st, 2019, is the new assessment value is based on. Okay, So from that, the next four years uh, ruling out will be based on that date. From that, um, you will receive a notice in the mail somewhere between May and September of 2020 what your assessment is on your property. Okay, and that will give you a point in time when that value is based on. And then from there, it'll be segmented out for four years. So they may phase it in over the four years. So, so for example, if it's, say, say January 1st, 2019, it's based on $500,000. And in 2016, it was based on uh, $400,000. So what that will be is it'll be phased in over four years. So each of those four years, uh, up to 20, 2022, it'll go up 25%. So you don't, you don't pay for that uh, new assessment in, in one year. It's based over four years. So why do they keep doing that, Paul? I think it's, I think in the sense that if, if they jumped it up in one year, it would be such a, a hike. So by, by allowing it to be phased in over the four years, uh, so, I mean, the last date, I'm trying to think, would be uh, January of 2016, I think it right. was. Uh, 16, 16, 17, 18, 19, 19, yeah. So, that, that's that, those, those time shots and time. So, if my assessment goes up, does that mean my taxes go up automatically? Not necessarily. So... I mean, if everybody's assessment went up equally, you wouldn't see the change as far as based on assessment. What goes on is there's two things that fold. When you open your taxes, you flip it over, and it'll say increase to your your taxes based on new assessment. Right. So, for example, if if your assessment went up 20% and the average went up 10%, well, you know that you're above that average. You're going to see a bigger increase in taxes because your value has gone up more than other areas in the municipality. The same thing is is if your assessment went up 10% and the overall average went up 20%, you'd see a decrease. And I think you've seen that before in one of your properties compared to other areas. A one time I did. Yes, um, and that's reasons why. So, But the, that was, um, I sold that property because it was going down in value, so. <laughs> yeah, you probably sold it at the wrong time. But I anyway, know. we won't go there. So, so the idea is, is every four years, there's a new snapshot of what your assessment is worth. And and we know that uh, more recently in the last uh, this is going into the third of the fourth year is agriculture saw a big increase and we saw how that was a, a bigger rate increase over all the other assessments but we've seen it in the past where around lake water or waterfront property has taken a big jump and i think you're going to see again that this year is we can't change that that's the system i mean other parts of the world have different systems and i mean it was uh, discussed at amo this summer at the conference but you know, the true uh, market assessment that we have in Ontario is not a bad system compared to other systems in the world. Well, that's interesting uh, tax time, uh, Paul. We look forward to... Uh, Get involved with your local municipality. Right. So uh, I want everybody to know that they can offer feedback uh, uh, to the municipal um, organization by going on the website and, and looking at the connect function there. I think it's uh, under bang the table. So I can't do that here because the microphone will go crazy. But anyhow, we're also offering uh, uh, information, feedback, uh, if you want to call uh, Paul or I on, on our feedback line. So. Today I want to introduce Scott Taylor, senior planner from, the, from Gray County. Uh, Scott, it's a pleasure to have you in Studio A today and in, uh, in uh, Fleshard. And so... Uh, you have done a lot of, uh, let's say, you've done a lot of audience participation over the years, uh, especially uh, you're out to, uh, to talk to school kids as well on, on some of your planning things. Any feedback from, from the youth today uh, playing Lego or is that uh, on hold? 
Yeah, thanks, uh, Stuart, for having me in to chat with you. Yeah, we, we have done a lot of uh, consultation of all age groups, I guess you could say, and, and we do still have a program that we use in, in schools and community centres where we try to uh, teach the youth about um, about planning, and, and that may seem a dry topic to some, but what we're really trying to get across is that planning uh, works best as, as a participation sport, and we want all age groups to be involved in helping uh, give feedback and input for their communities um, you know, when I when I go in to speak with a group of, of grade threes, for example, I, I, I kind of joke with them, you know, if we only ever have input from people with silver hair, we're only ever going to get silver haired communities. Uh, and, and so we need more input from from younger age groups and, and groups that are maybe uh, less traditionally seen at a, a standard uh, municipal council meeting or, or planning public meeting. And, and planners are certainly guilty of that in the past. And, and uh, so it's been a great experience to learn from them. And, and we've got another one coming up here towards the end of September with uh, a high school geography class in Owen Sound. So we're quite excited for that. That's great. It's uh, it's great to be interactive. So uh, just so uh, a bit of an aside, but I saw the other day that uh, Lego Corporation is going to make their blocks in the future using hemp plastics. So they're moving with the times as well. So another thing that another topic that we've been talking about in Grey Highlands this week is about tiny homes. And I I know that you uh, are certainly on the official plan. Uh, brought that to uh, sort of a head and, and allowed municipalities to to think more about that. So can you tell me what the county did to make this possible at the lower levels as well? Sure. Yeah, the county, after, after talking to municipal staff and municipal councils, as well as people throughout the community, um, really strove hard to, to try to make sure that the 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 housing moving forward in the county across all of our nine municipalities meets all of our needs. And, and so certainly, certainly there is a need for, you know, larger homes and there's a need for family homes, but there's also a need for, for uh, smaller housing units. And we find some of these smaller housing units are, are great because they provide a great entry into the housing system. So whether you're maybe looking at buying or renting your first home or apartment, um, and, and they also provide for a nice transition uh, for people that might be looking to downsize and, and maybe ultimately exit from home ownership and, and, uh, and, and think about other options. Uh, and so one of the things that the county did was try to remove a lot of the barriers from uh, people that may wish to, to, to seek a smaller home size and, and certainly any barrier that was within the county's control. So we, we made sure in the new official plan uh, to make sure that there was no no minimum house sizes that are needed on on any lot across Gray County. And so that's at the county level. And now municipalities like Gray Highlands are starting to run with that and propose changes to their zoning bylaws that would remove any local restrictions on that as well. Um, This doesn't change the Ontario Building Code, which still has uh, mandatory minimums for certain certain room sizes, Um, but it does go a long way uh, towards towards making sure that locally, both at the county and municipal level, uh, we're, we're clearing the path for, for people that want uh, uh, a smaller than, than uh, what we've traditionally seen uh, home size or apartment size. So I know Gray Highlands is uh, looking at uh, changing their thousand square foot minimum to something open uh, as long as it meets the building code. So that's a step forward. I suppose uh, if that's the case in the uh, tiny homes are, are allowed as secondary dwellings right now. And uh, as part of uh, part of that plan, we haven't in Grey Highlands. I know we haven't seen anybody utilize the small home concept on their on their principal lot. But I think this uh, us talking about it, some people may get some ideas that this is possible. So I think one of the things that uh, we also were talking about, and and I was pleased to see you at our our our, you know the municipal meeting, uh, which was talking about this particular aspect as well as campgrounds. So I think uh, having more commu- uh, public communication is uh, is is something in the heading in the right direction. So tiny homes could lead to tiny lots. So how uh, should a municipality be thinking about that? Should it should be done on a one one off basis, or do you think the municipality should think about developing that as an open concept? Let's say maybe in particularly in in fully serviced areas where you maybe can get a a lot that maybe is 66 feet today that you could split it in two and maybe put two bungalows without having to do a link concept. Sure, yeah. So the first step that we've seen a lot of municipalities take, as, as you've noted, is, is looking at reducing the, the mandatory minimum um, house size or dwelling size. 
Um, but maybe the next logical step is, is starting to look at what our, our lot sizes are. So if someone wants to come in and put in a new subdivision, um, what's, what's the smallest lot right now they can put in? Um, and, and what we're trying to encourage in, in a lot of our new developments is a range of housing unit sizes. Um, you know, as much as, as, um, as we may or may not want um, tiny homes or large homes, uh, you know, I think it makes for a better community if, if we have these housing choices interspersed throughout our community. So rather than a, a subdivision coming in with, with all large homes or all tiny homes, if we can have a subdivision that has a mix of maybe singles and semis and towns and maybe some of those singles fall closer to the tiny range, um, I think that makes for uh, a better community and a more cohesive community. Um, and, and um, I think that discussion on, on minimum lot sizes is, is one that's particularly pertinent uh, as we start to see more interest in, in the tiny homes or, or, or smaller homes um, as we move forward. And so if, if, if we think about what's needed on a lot, and especially if we're talking about a, a city lot where you have municipal water and municipal sewer, um, you might want space for the home, you might want space for, for a small driveway and maybe space for, for a shed or a garage. Uh, and so if you have all those things um, and, and maybe a little bit of setback between you and your neighbor's place, um, what does that lot size work out to be? And we can start to draw that out and sketch that out in terms of what that looks like uh, while still giving people a bit of a bit of yard or amenity space. And I think that is a logical next step towards um, uh, looking at, at, at the types and sizes of housing and lots we need across across the municipality and the county. Do you think that do you think that uh the younger people that haven't bought their first house, do they have higher expectations than perhaps their pocketbook can uh, can handle because they maybe have brought, been brought up in a, a family that has uh, granite countertops and uh, whirlpools and all those kinds of things? Are they prepared to take a, a, a fresh look at maybe where they want to be, whereas maybe, you know, a carport or, or something simple uh, – do you think that's possible to reorient that in if you were looking as a, as a building a subdivision of smaller homes? Do you think the expectations could be brought into a more realistic cost point? Sure. I, I used to think that I could speak for young people, but the older I get, the more I'm realizing I certainly can't. Um, and I think your point is a good one in terms of whether people have grander expectations or not. But I think I think the counter is also very interesting to consider. And I was speaking recently with a planner from Brisbane, Australia, and, and they recently did a very large project where they were looking at their community needs moving forward. And, and they broke it down to a, a very easy to digest um, segment to say that, you know, based on our projections, we know we're growing by this many people per month. And if we are growing by this many people per month, how are we going to accommodate those people? And what they did was they developed a little a little app that people could use on their phones or even on a desktop computer and said, we need to accommodate this many people um, by X year. So 2030 pick. Um, and, and how do you want to see those those people accommodated? And so within this app, you could choose to build apartment buildings. You could choose to build large single homes or you could choose to build something more like a townhouse or, or, or a semi-detached. And, and as you started to populate your city with these units, it gave you some feedback. And, and so as to say, if, if you were building all singles, then it would tell you, well, listen, this is going to take up more land and, and you might have uh, either longer drives or longer bus rides or walks to get where you want to go. Um, but the other thing it did, and, and the thing that I found really interesting was, was she said that it really stimulated conversations. And she told the story of a 16-year-old kid that came home and said, mom and dad, I just had this presentation in my class and we talked about how we're gonna accommodate Brisbane's uh, uh, population needs going forward and, and I want you to play this app with me and we're both gonna compare our results. And so they did and, and they lived on, on a large house and had a very nice yard with a pool and everything else. And so the parents, when they designed their city, uh, they built more of that. And, and they were actually shocked to see that, that the 16 year old kid built mostly apartment building and condo style development. And, and, and so it stimulated this conversation within this family, and I'm paraphrasing here, but basically to say that uh, the kids said to my parents, I've had a wonderful upbringing. I've loved where I lived, uh, not a bad word to say about it, but that's not what I want for myself going forward. I don't want to spend four hours every weekend cutting the grass. I want to live in, in, uh, in a condo. I want restaurants and the beach to be my backyard, uh, not a backyard I have to personally maintain. 
And 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 what she said was was that this was an eye opener for the parents because they they really thought that because they'd raised their children in in this in this environment and given them wonderful amount of opportunity that that would be what they sought to provide for their own kids. But in fact, you know, at least at age 16, uh, this child was was choosing almost the opposite, um, even though they were very thankful for what they had. And so I think that's one of the benefits of, of talking to the community and holding meetings like Gray Highlands did the other night is hearing these diverse perspectives, because we know there are people that that are feeling they want more and more and more. And, and, and similarly, there's there's people were coming across more that that want less and are choosing less because um, they enjoy other things, uh, whether it be uh, public amenities or whether it be travel um, or whether it be, you know, the the tiny or small home is is a stepping stone to maybe more of a midsize home that they hope to end up in. But it's these community conversations that help inform us uh, as to what people truly want and, and, and maybe what the market will start to demand. So definitely there's a cultural shift and it's us to figure it out. Uh, by having these community meetings, it's it's getting started. Have uh, you since you're in a county position? Do you see what's happening in tiny homes in some of the other municipalities in Gray County? Is there anything happening that we could learn from that uh, that you know Gray Highlands should be looking at in that e- making this evolve quickly? Sure. Um, we, we've certainly been been looking at other municipalities within Gray. I'd say the municipality of Meaford is, is doing a good job of trying to promote um, a, a range of housing units. Um, we've also been trying to learn from, from other municipalities across the country and even internationally. Um, we recently had a presentation on some work that the city of Ottawa has done and, and the city of Toronto has also done work on, on their laneway housing. Right. Again, they may or may not meet the definition, depending on who defines it, of a tiny home, but they are starting to fill a need of, of more um, secondary units and, and hopefully more rental units that are taking place within our communities without having to build further out. So they're on existing lots and they're providing a the home homeowner some income, but b also hopefully providing some some uh, affordable rental opportunities. Um, one of the things we haven't seen in gray yet is is sort of an entire um, tiny plan of subdivision, if you will, uh, whereby you have a, a you know say fifty or hundred lots that are all meant to accommodate very small homes. Um, we have started to think about that in terms of okay, if you were going to look at that, what would the lot sizes be, um, and would you look at say individual servicing connections for all units or, or or how would the infrastructure look kind of thing uh, and then similarly if you had someone that built one of these units and and wanted to expand in the future would they have room on that same lot to expand so we're, we're starting to look further abroad to what other areas are doing um, there's a proposal in in uh, in part of Quebec where they're looking at a tiny home plan of subdivision um, and I must admit, I forget the other municipality, but there was one in a, in a different part of Canada where it wasn't going to be an entire tiny home plan of subdivision. But within the subdivision that they were planning, there was pockets of uh, like a, a small cluster of tiny homes. So rather than the whole community being uh, uniform in one size, there was different uh, uh, pockets where they could put in five or six or eight uh, uh, tiny homes. That's a new word that keeps popping up is uh, pocket communities as well. So. Uh, let's go to another thing that if you had a tiny home community, let's say you had, uh, 20 tiny homes where historically you may only have five, uh, let's say larger homes. So you have, uh, so then that w- could lead to uh, tiny DC charges. Any thoughts on tiny DC charges? You know, that's a, a discussion that we can certainly have at the municipal and, and, and county, um, um, council tables in terms of, you know, if someone is looking at a tiny home on a, a, a as the primary um, home on a lot, uh, what is the appropriate development charge? Or similarly, um, maybe there's still a, a similar development charge for, for a tiny home. Um, but maybe if you're looking at a tiny home as, as an apartment unit, a secondary suite on the lot, uh, maybe that, that's where some of the development charges get relaxed. Um, one of the things that's going on in the province right now is, is the province has recently passed new legislation um, called Bill 108, um, which is, is going to change uh, to a certain extent how we think about development charges and how we think about what some communities used to do called bonusing. 
Um, and there's going to be new community benefit charges introduced. So over the next uh, one to two years, we believe there'll be a number of municipalities having to re-examine their, their current development charge bylaws and, 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 and their development charge background studies. Uh, so this might be a great time for municipalities and, and the county alike to start to put our head to um, what are the appropriate development charges and, and, and are they uniform across any house size? Um, or maybe we look at some very some further variation, or maybe we look at um, uh, some variation or incentive for for secondary suites. Uh, the county has some notions of that in our current development charges bylaw, um, but uh, maybe it's something that gets explored in 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 the, the future iteration as well. Well, at least uh, uh, today we've explored some of the things that uh, that you are interested in, and certainly we are interested in, and and hopefully. Yeah, that by staying in touch with you, uh, that we can keep uh, our public in, uh, in Grey Highlands informed as to what's happening. Our interview with Scott Taylor has been edited for this episode. The full version can be heard through our website in greyhighlandsthisweek.ca. If it is not there now, it will be there soon and forever. This is episode three, What and When. My guest today is Reuben McCallum, a sales representative for Remax High County Realty in Flesherton and soon to be in Markdale and the current president of the Markdale Rotaract, which is young people in business and around working in our community, 35 and under. Welcome, Reuben. Hi, thanks, Stuart. It's great to be here. Well, it's wonderful that uh, we can bring another millennial into our into our podcast system. Uh, I think you probably bring a lot of interesting things. Uh, being young, I, I would would say that you're a magnet to the young people coming into your office. Are you? <laughs> I'm a magnet, Stuart. Yeah, uh, actually, I do deal with a lot of, of first time homebuyers coming in just because of friends and and acquaintances and stuff. Yeah, that's what real estate's all about. Can you give me, in a short sentence or two, a little bit about your who you are and how you fit into our community? So I grew up in Grey Highlands, and uh, we, my family moved up from Toronto originally, uh, but most of my memories are from Grey Highlands. We have a, a horse farm um, just outside of Markdale, and uh, we're involved in agribusiness in that regard. And I live up in uh, the Clarksburg area, just the Grey Highland side of the town line. And uh, being kind of born uh, in the city, but raised in Grey Highlands has given me uh, a lot of insight to the area. And I just, I'm just passionate about it. Well, that's wonderful. And we want to retain more young people, get them to come back and be entrepreneurial and open up businesses here. I think that uh, you're probably seeing some of those come uh, and looking and exploring our area. Yeah, I mean, it's it, what's attracting people to the area, I think, is the when you compare it to the cost of housing in Toronto, it is cheaper. So uh, when you're coming from that kind of market to this market, it, it becomes uh, easier to buy and maybe not so for someone raised locally. But there's a lot of young professionals moving to the area that I've noticed. Well, that's great. And the quality of life up here, they're enjoying the fresh air and uh, some of the interesting scenery and natural heritage items that, you know, prop, things that we have. So I think that's a wonderful uh, kind of thing that you don't necessarily get in Toronto, especially in the heart of Toronto. I was born in Toronto as well, so it's no sin to say that you're from Toronto. But <laughs> um, so one of the things, the Rotary, uh, the Young Rotaracts, I, I call you, you've really been ambitious there. You've done a lot of great projects. One was the car show, which you took over from the Chamber of Commerce, and you did a great job. I think you hit record numbers and it was a very exciting evening. But one of the things that uh, you've got coming up is in October is the Oktoberfest, very appropriately named. So can you tell us what maybe you have planned for Oktoberfest this year? Sure. So if you joined us for Oktoberfest last year, um, it's going to be much of the same. We're upping our game a little bit. Uh, we were very happy with how it went last year. But this will be our third year, um, our second official year. And we're working directly with the Rotary Club of Markdale. So we're going to have uh, a barbecue, games, DJ, all that kind of stuff on October 5th. So are you going to uh, have uh, lessons on how to do the polka? <laughs> 
I'll take that to the committee. It won't be me instructing, I'll tell you that. Okay. Well, there are some people like myself that have two left feet and never perfected it. But if you get in the rhythm of the polka, it looks like a lot of fun. All right. <laughs> so one of the things that I, I asked last year, and I see it's on your list, is uh, for having some Dijon mustard. The other request that I always ask for is uh, not to be brand specific, but uh, a gluten-free beer that I like to drink that's uh, from Mexico. Uh, so it would make me really happy that day to have a gluten-free bun and Oktoberfest sausage, Dijon mustard, sauerkraut, and a nice gluten-free beer. Anyhow, we look forward to that in <laughs> October, October the 5th, right? Yes, at the Fleshton Complex. Okay, great. We look forward to that. So part of our uh, program today, of course, in what and when is some of the other items that are coming up. And uh, one of them coming up this weekend, which we talked about last time, is September the 13th to 15th, is the Feversham Fall Fair. And uh, so do you want to help me with some of these events that are coming up? Absolutely. Yeah, there's quite a list. I'm pretty excited. Do you want to shoot for the the September the 15th? Have you been to that sure. one? Sure. I, I actually have never been, but September 15th is the Old Durham Road Pioneer Cemetery annual service starting at 2 p.m. And that's just out at the corner of County Road 14 and the Old Durham Road. There's a long history and a long story behind that, and I'm sure our, your friend Robert at our South Ray Museum can give you some more background on that. The writ was dropped a couple of days ago, so that's the send-off for the candidates for the federal election. Uh, Markdale and the Chamber of Commerce are going to celebrate an all-candidates meeting on September the 26th. Our friend and yours, Ray Robertson, is going to be the moderator, so everybody come out. Well, on September 27th, uh, Quilt Stories at the Grey Highlands Public Library starting at 2 p.m. It's kind of an awesome opportunity to bring your quilt uh, and tell the story about it. And I think that uh, you mentioned it earlier, Stuart, how important uh, quilting has been to our uh, local culture. Certainly is. Over in Osprey, there's a store that uh, they have quilting bees and things. It's an interesting art form. And there's a lot of story behind it. And on uh, September 28th, uh, it's a gray, uh, South Gray Museum initiative, but Markdale is rad. That's going to be in the downtown of Markdale between 6 and 9 p.m. Interesting. What Do you know what rad means? I don't. You'd have to ask Robert. Okay, so that's the big mystery. <laughs> All right. Markdale is rad is exciting. It's a great new concept for Markdale. Absolutely. Well, Ruben, thank you very much for coming to Studio 8 here today in, in uh, downtown Flesherton. It's been a pleasure having you, and uh, hopefully we'll be able to connect with you another time. And I uh, look forward to uh, give you giving polka lessons at Oktoberfest. <laughs> Thanks a lot. You've been listening to Episode 3 of In Grey Highlands this week for Friday the 13th of September 2019 current affairs podcast for and about the municipality of Grey Highlands in Ontario, Canada. Our hosts are Stuart Halliday and Paul McQueen. We hope you enjoyed this episode and we look forward to you favouring us with a response by our email feedback at ingreyhighlandsthisweek.ca or a call to our voicemail at 519-900-8905. Please visit ingreyhighlandsthisweek.ca to view the show notes, leave a comment, and listen to extended material. You'll also find links to our social media presence where you can engage further with the show. Our scores are skillfully composed and generously provided by Al Halliday of Arkham Dispatch and Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. Thanks to our guests, Scott Taylor, Senior Planner for the County of Grey in Owen Sound, and Reuben McCallum of Remax High Country Realty in Flesherton. The show is produced by Tim Riley at Leaking Ambient Studio in Flesherton, and our associate producer is Kate Russell. In Grey Highlands This Week is published by the Grey Highlands Chamber of Commerce and is licensed under Creative Commons, Attribution, Non-Commercial, No Derivatives, 4.0 international license.